Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 179, Board Game Geek Hotness. We like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you an ad-free episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. How are you doing, my friend? How's the gaming going for you? It's good. It's good. Yeah, just like powering my way through here, the last of the, the games picked up at Origins. Trying to make sure that I have a nice, clean, fresh palette for next week. Gen Con just around the corner. Yeah, it's definitely that bonus time where everything came out from Origins, everything else is about to come out from Gen Con. There's just kind of like a wonderful glut of games. Obviously, it's a board gaming summer, so we're trying to get all these games out. And everyone's excited about what's coming up for Gen Con, of course, but Essen and PAX Unplugged. Yeah, so much good stuff. I mean, uh, it's, it's such a funny time of year because you feel like you should have this giant list of all the games you want, but... Gen Con is in nine days from right now, yeah. us recording this. It'll be a surprise, and then we'll want it. And then, you know, I at least will end up spending too much money, because that's what I do. <laughs> well, it's just a little bit of a board game addiction. Nothing to be worried about, folks. We have a podcast. We're professionals. Don't try this at home. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> and most recently, there's been some updated news about the award winners for the Spiel des Jahres. So why don't you take us through the big winners? Yeah, yeah, these were announced this morning on the day we're recording this, so good timing. The uh, Kinderspiel des Jahres, which is the Children's Game of the Year, that was announced a few weeks ago, and that's uh, Dragon's Breath, which I did pick up at Origins. I've played with my kids. They love it, so very nice. I'm cool with that one. But the big awards, the two big ones, those were both announced the same day, which was today, and the uh, the top game, the winner this year, was Azul. The three nominees for Spiel des Jahres were Azul, Luxor, mm -hmm. and The Mind. And um, I think we both thought Azul was probably the favorite, so then <laughs> therefore we assumed it wouldn't win. But this is the second year in a row now where the game we thought wouldn't win won, so I don't know what's happening anymore. Well, it's, it's, to be fair, it's the game um, that we wanted to win because out of the three games, yeah. it was the best game. But typically when it comes to the Spiel des Usually that game does not win. Congratulations for getting it right there. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. Definitely a well-deserving game. The other award, the Kennerspiel, is for the gamers' games, which are really just kind of like a medium weightish games. So there's a, these are not the heavy games we talk about, but more the light to medium weight Euros. And the winner for that was De Quaxalber von Quedlinburg, with which you just reviewed like last week, I think, right? Yes. Yeah, so that one beat out Heaven and Ale, which is a great game, but way too heavy for this category. Mm -hmm. And Gunstrom Clever, which is designed by the same guy as Quedlinburg, and is actually one of my favorite roll and write games, but it's a roll and write game. So I don't think anybody thought that would win either. So yeah, it's a couple of really good games come out of this. I don't think there was any controversy. Nobody thinks like, oh, how did these games win? It's good stuff. Yeah, a lot of good games there. Obviously, we're both big fans of Heaven and Ale, but as you said, it's definitely much more heavy. So once... And not a big surprise, but so, you know, it all works out in the end, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I just played Heaven and Ale again, like, a few days ago, and along with, I brought Gancho and Clever, and I was like, oh, I've got the Spiel and nominees. 
And I was like, this is so heavy. I mean, it's not so heavy. It's, it's lighter than a lot of the stuff we play, but sure. it's a lot heavier than what you're used to out of that category. So not surprised that a lighter game, Quedlinburg, pulled this one out. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk about those games because, of course, with these Spielus Yaris wins, they become super hot, super big. They hit Board Game Geek's top hot list. And it's going to pretty much be everywhere. So if you don't have these games yet, they'll eventually hit your store pretty soon. And hopefully you'll get a chance to get to these table. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with board gaming. What's going on with our listeners? What's our question of the week? All right. So this is the perfect time of year for culling your board game collection as all these conventions are going on. So I asked everybody what criteria they use when or if they cull their board game collection. I have to use these when or if statements, because that's inevitably <laughs> someone will jump in and be like, well, I don't call my collection. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But um, <laughs> I don't either. Like, I just, have boxes in the basement. You're supposed so. to call your collection? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just that's buy right. a bigger house. Is that what yeah. you're supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, where else? What, what would I do with them? I don't understand. My wife's actually preparing for a, a consignment sale. So she's got all the kids' old clothes and toys and some stuff sitting out, and we're going to tag it. But... Uh, then she's like, oh, we want to get rid of any of the board games in the basement. And in my head, I'm like, no, no, <laughs> they're just sitting in boxes. What am I doing with these? Uh, that's that's why we run a podcast, guys. So anyways, people's advice on this. Andrew says, I put all the games that I'm indifferent about into the local math trade and let fate decide. Wow. Yeah. Just like, let's see what happens. <laughs> Drew says he lets a friend borrow it. And if he's unwilling to lend it, then do not proceed to the next step. Wow. The next step being, do I care if I get it back after a while? If not, it's good to get gone. Hopefully trade it for a game with that friend, or if you're feeling really generous, just let them have it. it seems like a good a good deal. Just trick yourself and see what you actually want. Sure. Uh, Scott here says he's going through the process at the moment to make space for incoming Kickstarters. He goes through two criteria. Does the game get played now? Will it get played in the future? Fairly simple. The answer to both of those is no. Time to go. Uh, and a few people here mentioned, you know, some of the intangibles. So you've got, when was the last time it was played? Of course, is there interest in the group? Does it have a good solo rule set? So thank you, Mike, for bringing that one up. I agree. Um, mm -hmm. Was it a gift or have sentimental attachment? This is another good point. I have a few games myself that I got as gifts uh, or, you know, from my wife or, or played with my wife or whatever it is. And maybe they don't get played and maybe I don't know when they will get played, but I'm not going to sell them because you know, someone gave them to me. Uh, and then is it out of print? So sure. I think those are all important questions to ask. I think I go through a lot of the same, you know, am I ever going to play this? Has another game replaced it in my collection? Like, oh, I don't play it because now I play this. So sure. then I'm definitely not going to play this anymore. Put them in a pile, stare at them for three weeks, and then put them all back away because I didn't <laughs> actually feel like selling them. So. Yeah, I did that recently myself where I pulled out a whole bunch of games to call. I put together a spreadsheet about them and put them back because I'm like, well, you know, I probably don't play this game too much, but, you know, maybe I can get back to the table. Maybe, maybe just one time. But I think for me, the criteria is, does it get played in your game group? And is your game group the type of people that are going to play this type of game? If they're not, and you're still kind of wanting to hold on to this, then you have to ask yourself, are you going to go to the trouble of trying to find a game group for this? Because I have some big games with a lot of different expansions and collections that at some point I really have to make a move to find a specific group to play that. 
because otherwise it's just taking up space. It's difficult. Yeah, like Rising Sun is a brilliant game. And I, the one time I've played it, I really enjoyed it. But my group doesn't like it. So I don't get it to the table. I need to find people who do like it. Sure. And I'm not going to get rid of it probably anytime soon. But a year or two from now, if I still am not playing this game, it might end up on that pile of, okay, I literally cannot get this game played. Which would make me sad, but, you know, it happens. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with our listeners. As always, you can always find all of our information on our website, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, and there's a whole bunch of written reviews. So if you're just listening to the podcast, jump over there and read all of our different reviews. We also have our YouTube channel. So if for some reason that's the way you like to consume podcasts and also be able to see a number of our videos, you have that as well. We're all over the place where hopefully you are. And as I said earlier, if there's some place that Board Gamers Anonymous is not out there, please let us know. All right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with everybody here. Let's talk about the games that we want to add to this huge collection that we may or may not call at some point. What's on your acquisition disorders for this week? All right, we have a new Vital Lacerda game, so we must talk about it. (laughs) That is the rule. It it must be done. One of us has to do it. (laughs) All right, so this is Escape Plan. And this one wasn't as much on my radar because everybody was saying, oh, it's a lighter game. It's It's a little bit of a departure from his other big heavy stuff. It's not really, uh, you know, got a chance to see kind of an early, like a early version and a run through at Origins. I didn't get a chance to sit down and play it myself, but a decently sprawling game. Um, it's $80 on Kickstarter, so there's a lot of content in the box. It's one of the big Eagle Griffin deluxified games. I don't know what the weight actually is, but preliminarily they've listed it as a 3.7, which is a little bit lighter than his other games, but not a lot. And it's one to two hours, so it's a little bit shorter, I guess. But... <laughs> But the thing that has me really excited about this is it is a game in which you play thieves and you are trying to outrun, outthink the police before they can lock down the city and keep you from getting away. Um, it's based on heist films. So it's all about moving around this modular board, trying to find the best spots to recover the loot that you've taken, get out of the city in one piece. And then the AI of the police you're trying to manipulate it and move around it and get away from it. And everybody's doing that at the same time and trying to get the best out of this. The reason I like Lacerda's game so much is that he takes a theme and he just imbues it in every single part of that game. It's by far some of the most thematic Euros you can play. And always interesting and unique themes too. It's not just farming or, you know, the usual stuff. You know, we've got winemaking, we've got running an art gallery, you know, we have rebuilding a city uh, in Portugal. And now we have escaping the police with your uh, with your stolen goods. And I I really wish I'd had a chance to play this, but I don't feel like I need to have played this because I know it's going to be good. And if it can replicate that feeling of getting in, grabbing a bunch of stuff, and then all the very unique and special things you have to do to get away from the police and succeed that you see in like a heist movie, I'm all in. You know, you know, whatever the mechanics are here, whatever you know. It's it's a game that I want to play. So I'm very excited about this one and we'll almost certainly be backing it. Yeah, I got a chance to watch the playthrough video of this. And it's as you said, it's a very different type of game. And that's what I really like about his game so much is that it's not just the same type of theme and or mechanics kind of done over again. And there are a lot of designers, bless their souls, who do outstanding themes and mechanics and just do simple variations of that from game to game. Escape Plan is very different. As you mentioned, 
it's all about trying to pick up loot and get out of the city. And that's very, very different than, let's say, a Lisboa. So you have your meeples, you're placing tiles, you're picking up people to help you, you're picking up equipment. And, and it's a little bit set collection. It's a little bit tableau builder. And it's, it's definitely a lot of, you know, press your luck, which really plays well with the theme. And Ian O'Toole's doing the artwork. And I love his artwork here. And if you are interested in this, it, it backs or it kind of runs out the campaign on Friday, August 10th. So there's still a little bit of time here. Definitely check this one out. We both recommend this Escape Plan by uh, Vital Lacerda. All right, Anthony. So let's talk about another kind of massive game as far as, you know, epic gaming is concerned. This is Eclipse, Second Dawn for the Galaxy. Now, this is kind of a reprint you know, almost a little bit of reimagining of some of their rules for this classic 4X sci-fi strategy game. Now, this campaign goes until Sunday, July 29th. So by the time you're hearing this, you only have a few days left to jump onto this campaign. If you haven't played Eclipse before, Eclipse is pretty simple to explain. As I said, it's a 4X sci-fi epic opera where you have your individual species that's trying to grow across the galaxy. It's your typical 4X sci-fi strategy game that's all about the big X's here, expanding, exploiting, exploring, and of course, exterminating. And in this game, because of bankruptcy and because you can get wiped out the, off the board, it rarely happens, but you could be eliminating this game. Now, you probably know about this game because it's been around for such time. It's a classic board game that's been around the tables, takes quite a bunch of time, but it's really worth the time and effort to sit down and play this game because you are building up your civilization. You are building up all of these ships, all of the weaponry that goes on these ships. And the tiles have a whole bunch of different interactions that come into play and the races have special interactions. But basically, if you've come across this at some point, you know about the epic nature of this. What this Kickstarter does is two things that are very important. First, it upgrades all of the components. Now, now we're, now we're not talking about just, hey, it looks a little bit better, but actually the ships come in the standard model, which is great. They're all upgraded. They look like fantastic miniatures. The graphic design, the art design is all brand new. That's fantastic. It comes with these new trays that actually allow all the different pieces to kind of be inset. So you're not going to have to worry like Terraforming Mars where these cubes kind of go flying. Really nice trays that double so you can use them in the game and you can actually use them to kind of box up. And then obviously second and most important, there are some rule clarifications. There are some updates, some streamlines. Instead of nine rounds, you have eight rounds in this game. There are some things that are nerfed and there are some things that are buffed. So there's a whole bunch of different upgrades to certain characters and certain races, and especially the technologies are, I guess I would say they're checked into place after years and years of not just playtesting this, but getting this game to the table. So all those problems that people have hopefully will be addressed. And if Eclipse is something you're interested in, jump on the Kickstarter right now. Yeah, this one looks really exciting. I mean, I've heard some people a little wary of it just because of the pricing model, yeah. like you have to pay the full 150 if you want to actually get all the stretch goals, which is a little rough. It, it kind of prices itself into the same category as like Twilight Imperium, mm -hmm. which makes for tough comparisons. But if you really like the game or if you've never owned it and want to have the ultimate edition, here you go. Absolutely. All right, Anthony. So that's everything for acquisition disorders. Now on to our games that are in our table this week. 
So for this week, we're going to talk about the games that hit our table and let you know if those games are a buy and you should go out and pick those games up. If they're a play and you should sit down and play them. If they're a dodge and you should avoid them at all costs. And if they are the dreaded burn and you should definitely run out of there. All right, Anthony. So what did you get to the table this week? All righty. So this is a game that just launched at Origins. And uh, they sold out of it, and they will almost certainly have it at Gen Con as well. Um, should be hitting store shelves right around now, too. And that is Carthago from Capstone Games. Um, this is designed by Ralph Bannert and Bernd Eisenstein, and it is a little bit lighter than some of the other games Capstone has released of late. 60 to 90 minutes, it is relatively card-driven, and you don't have you know all the bits and pieces and even the rulebook is a little bit shorter, which is nice. The gameplay of this is fairly straightforward. Cards have multiple uses. They have um, different icons on them that are going to correspond to different abilities that you might take. They have values, and then they have actions that you can use them for. And so on your turn, what you're going to do is you're going to take an action by moving your piece onto one of five spaces on... It looks like a rondelle, but you can go anywhere you want on it, so it's not really a rondelle. You do have to pay a little extra if you go somewhere that someone else already is, so that's something to keep in mind, a little worker placement there, uh, but otherwise it's wide open. And you will then take that action. And when you take the action, you have to play the card that corresponds to the action, and then pay whatever you need to pay to do that thing. So some of the different actions you can take, you can go to the market, get new cards in your hand, um, you can do the residence, which is to trade in certain icons on your cards that you've collected to upgrade different things on your residence track. Um, some of those will make you stronger to fight ships. Some of those are just to get you, you know, additional points. Um, some of them are the ways to just kind of upgrade your board and have access to more things later. So lots of different things you can do there. Um, it's a relatively small board, though, so you can tell how short the game is. There's only eight spaces. One of them starts cleared at the beginning. So... There's not a ton going on here. Other options here, uh, trading dock. You can go to the trading harbor, put one of your discs out, meaning that that's a place later where you're going to trade with a ship. You can go to the warship dock action, which means later you'll be able to fight a ship. You harbor delivery options, where you're going to trade in the goods that a specific card is asking for. So again, the goods in your hand, trade them in, uh, and then you take that ship. The ships are cool because they give you different special abilities and bonuses. Um, they also allow you to refill your hand. So depending on the value on the ship, you're going to draw a certain number of cards directly into your hand without having to take an extra action. So things can chain a little bit. You definitely need to get a lot of ships here uh, to have a, a chance in this game. And by combining all these actions and chaining them together in the right order and managing your resources carefully, uh, the goal here is to get your... Uh, markers out in various parts of the, I'd say board, but really it's just a bunch of pieces of cardboard on the table. Um, there are achievements you can complete. Uh, the game takes place over three rounds, each of those rounds having five turns for each player. So you can complete one of two different achievements in each of the three rounds. It's good to try to do that as much as you can because they're worth a lot of points. There's also options for um, guild actions where you can get your guys out into the guild and therefore kind of build up a majority there and it's worth points at the end of the game as well so that's something you'll be also be wanting to do this action happens when you take an action at the same time as the guild hall is on that space on that little not rondelle thing it's not heavy it's not like one of the big coal games it's not you know wild catters or anything like that but it is very thinky. It has a lot going on. Um, I do like the artwork. I like the style of it. It's kind of that old Greek, early 
ancient civilization kind of look to it. Um, it's only 40 bucks, so you know there's not a whole lot going on here in the box. Relatively small box. I was surprised when I first saw it. And it, despite some of the issues I've had with earlier rule books uh, from Capstone, it's pretty straightforward, you know. And because it's so short, it's just a 10-page book, even if you have a little bit of issues with it, you get through it pretty quick. Now, the game itself, some rounds just kind of run on autopilot. Early game, you don't have a ton of options because you need to build things up a little bit. There's not, a t I feel like there's not a lot of replayability here because the path to victory is always going to feel a little similar. There's not a lot of options for the achievements. Uh, I think there's one extra for each of the rounds. So you're going to cycle a little bit there. And there's a little bit of randomness in terms of which ships you draw and if you're able to defeat them in the combat. So it's it's a game that I feel like it's a good in-between weight game for people who like heavier games. It's not a light game, but it's not a heavy game. And it's probably going to not last too long as part of your collection. I mean, it's not something where you're going to sit down and play it 30 times and try to uncover all the intricacies of the game. It, it is what it is. It's, it wears it all out there. So... I'd give Carthago a play. I think it's worth playing. I think, you know, if you like the types of games that Capstone has been putting out, you'll enjoy this. If you're looking for something a bit more in-depth, a little bit heavier, this is not probably it. And if you're looking for something that you can really dive into and unpack and learn about as you develop over time and has some replayability to it, this is also not that. So solid game, not amazing. It's, uh, it's well worth checking out, though. That's Carthago. So would you say this is a good game if you're looking to get into Capstone games, but maybe not a heavy gamer so much? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It, it, it definitely feels mechanically similar to those other games mm -hmm. in terms of everything kind of flows together. You're, you're building things up. There's a very small amount of luck, you know, and mechanically it's not identical to other Euros. It's not like a formulaic game. It's just not a lot more than what you see. So I can see why it sold so well. People, you demo this and you're like, wow, this is really solid. But after playing it a few times, you're like, okay, it's it's kind of the same thing after a certain point. All right. Well, I got two games to my table this week and they're both very similar because both of them are press your luck games. The first game up is Megaland. Now this is from Ryan and Malora Lockett. Now, this is, once again, in the Red Raven universe, very similar characters, but the game is slightly lighter and slightly different. Basically, what you're doing in this game is you are, of course, pressing your luck. So you are in this video game world, and you are trying to achieve 20 money in order to bring the game to an end, and whoever has the most money, as all good games typically have, is the winner of the game. So basically, what you're going to do is you're going to choose one of these standees, and you are going to journey through Megaland in order to collect treasure. Now, what's interesting about this game is there's a small deck of cards. And this deck of cards is going to have a number of different things on them. So it could have just background. It could have this kind of random treasure box. Or, unfortunately, it could have one of these various monsters that are going to cause damage to your player. So at the start of the game, you're going to have four hearts and you're going to travel down this land. But you have to make a decision, how far do you want to go? So each step along the way, you're going to uncover a treasure, but also flip over a card. If you take more hits than you have hearts, you're going to get knocked out and not collect any treasure. So there is a interesting press your luck and very thematic here. The artwork is beautiful once again. 
if you like Ryan Lockett's artwork and kind of thematic flavor here, you're going to find it here in this game. All the monsters are very cutesy, kind of cartoony. So it's something that you can actually sit down and play with kids. It's not too complicated. You have three hearts left. There is one monster in the deck that can knock out three hearts. How far do you want to press it? Well, once the adventure is over and you decide to come back into town, you bring any treasures that you have with you. And the different number of different types of treasures are going to allow you to purchase cards from a market. So in that effect, it becomes a little bit like Machikara. We have these different cards. They're going to have different actions at the end of the round or actually during your gameplay. So one of the possibilities are that you can pick up cards that are going to allow you to make jumps. So certain monsters in the game are going to allow you to jump over them where other monsters are flying and that's actually not going to help you. But most of the time, the cards are going to give you money. That's good because you need money to win the game. And some cards are going to be able to generate money for you each and every night. So these are the higher price cards. So it's a little harder to get. Now, if you don't happen to get a number of different items that are different, if you got, let's say, a bunch of carrots, you can trade in identical items for more hearts so that you could travel further down the road here in this press your luck game. Megaland has a wonderful insert. I talked about this before, although I wouldn't recommend tipping it on the side because all the cards would kind of kind of go out of this game. I played this with a number of different people. It plays best at the higher player count. This game plays from two to five players. I would never play this game with less than four players in the game just because having that press your luck element really comes into more kind of flavorful play when people are getting knocked out. If you have one or two people, it's like, oh, I'm going to be out. Well, me too. And that's pretty much it for a game. The cards are really interesting because they really allow you to kind of build an interesting tableau. I got to play with a bunch of different people. Everyone was building a different kind of setup here. I would recommend picking out what you think works best. The game recommends these kind of starter cards, then allows you to kind of pick whatever you want. I would kind of pick what kind of game experience you want. The cards allow the game to either be much, much easier or much more difficult. So pick and choose how you feel you want to have that gameplay experience. The next thing I want to talk about is another Press Your Luck game. This is End of the Trail by Elf Creek Games. This was a recent Kickstarter game, and it's all about being prospectors out in the West. And what you're doing with this game is basically you are going out to these different locations. So there could be mountains, there could be plains, there could be canyons. And you're trying to prospect for gold. Now, the press your luck element here depends on the cards that you play and the amount of gold you find in these different locations. So the cards are going to be your actions in the game. Some of the cards will actually have horses or mules or oxen that are going to determine how far along you're going to be able to search for gold. In addition to having these special explore actions, the cards themselves can also have a special ability action that's going to allow you to kind of mess with other players, move your camps, and explore different tiles that normally you wouldn't have the ability to reach. And finally, the cards, on top of all those different possibilities, are going to have a poker element to them. So each and every one of the cards has a different suit on there. So what you're trying to do is come up with the best poker hand possible by the end of the game. So at the start of the game, you get a handful of cards, put one card on hold so that later on you can kind of build up your poker hand. So every card that you play in the game will be able to add to your possible poker hand that's going to give you gold at the end of the game. 
So it's a lighter kind of press your luck game because basically you're playing a card, you're moving your prospector, you're flipping over tiles secretly, you're seeing how much gold is there. Then you're making a decision if you want to play another card. If you do and you find a location that has less gold, that's what you're stuck with. If you find more gold, you can place your camp there and decide to go even further. This game's on the lighter side. The production is really nice here. I really enjoyed the production here. The Deluxe Edition has these really nice gold nuggets. Didn't come with my version of it, but I really did enjoy the basic version of this. So for so for Megaland and for End of the Trail, I'm giving them both plays. I highly, highly recommend playing both games at the highest player count because it just allows more options, especially for End of the Trail. If you're going to play a one to four player game, play it with four players. Yeah, I mean, those both sound really good. I mean, I remember seeing End of the Trail at Origins, um, and it caught my eye. It made me stop to take a look at it. And Megaland, I know you got a chance to take it home from Origins and you've played it, but I've been like eagerly awaiting it popping up at Target because it definitely looks like something that'd be a good fit and a good opportunity to to get in on a, a Ryan Lockett game, which I've yet to really trade by one. I don't I don't know. I just haven't really been hooked by any of his games yet. But this seems like a nice, lighter, um, good group-sized one to get into. Yeah, I was surprised that even... Heavy gamers enjoyed the tableau building with the different building situation, whereas the trick-taking tends to be a lighter mechanic, but they didn't mind it so much because it did play so quickly. So we enjoyed really both of those games. All right, Anthony, so that's all the games that are in our table. Now on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are jumping back into the hotness of board gaming. It's not just summertime. It is summertime for board gaming because all the great games are hitting the table Amongst all of these different award shows and all of these different conventions, Anthony's going to bring us the breakdown of why these games are hitting the hotness. All right, Anthony, take it away. All right, guys, hotness is here, and this one will be 100% different in about 12 days after everybody gets their hands on all that Gen Con goodness. But um, there's some interesting stuff in here. So number one on the list is Escape Plan, which I talked about earlier in this episode. It's a new Lacerda. That's all you need to know. Number two is Everdell. This is a new game from Starling Game slash Game Salute. Uh, and it is this beautiful artwork. You, it, I mean, mechanically, it's a worker placement game, but you have these beautiful little cards of all these different woodland creatures. You have this three-dimensional tree board. Very, very cool table presence. Um, looking forward to a chance to get to play this one. Uh, number three is the Juggernaut that is Gloomhaven, which just kind of sits up here doing its thing. Number four is Detective, a modern crime board game. Uh, this is the new one from Portal Games. It is launching at Gen Con, and it is their take on deduction and crime-solving games. So interested to see how that plays out. Number five is Overturn, Rising Sands. We haven't had a chance to talk about this one, but this was a Kickstarter that summarily failed because some of its backers noticed that they had plagiarized almost everything <laughs> so the rule book was plagiarized the uh, parts of their campaign page were plagiarized whole big thing kickstarter shut it down with about a day left and people are still talking about it so it is in the hotness uh, number six is blue lagoon this is a new game from reiner Kinizia coming from blue orange games um, I'm actually pretty interested in this because it looks and sounds a lot like Through the Desert, kind of the modern board game take on Go, uh, where you're closing areas and trying to build out a route uh, in your own network across these different islands. Very, very bright and colorful as well, so 
kind of excited to see this one when it comes out. Next up is Root. Root is the new asymmetric game from Leader Games um, with little woodland creatures facing off against each other. And it is coming out at Gen Con as well. So everybody's talking about that one right now. Next up is Arkham Horror, the card game. This is always on the list. There was a new pack that came out this last week, so people are talking about it. Next up is Terraforming Mars. Again, always on this list, but also there's a new expansion coming. Prelude expansion does launch at Gen Con, and I think it hits retail two or three weeks after that. So I'll be seeing a lot of people talk about the new um, corporation boosting that is available. Uh, next up is Cthulhu, Death May Die. This is the infamous giant Cthulhu miniature that I think now if you order it, you get it in like four years or something ridiculous um, <laughs> from Seabon. Uh, it's a big miniatures in a box game. It's Cthulhu. If you like those two things, you already know about this. Um, it, it'll be Seamon's big one next year. Eclipse Second Dawn. Uh, Chris just talked about this. So this is the new version of Eclipse everybody's talking about um, and up on Kickstarter right now. The Choose Your Own Adventure game, which I didn't know existed until I saw it at Target, and then I had to look it up because, like, how is that? I not know this was a thing. I'm from Z-Man, of all people. And it is one of the old Choose Your Own Adventure book, House of Danger, uh, turned into a cooperative card game. And it is, I mean, it really seems like it's designed to play one person, but it, the box is one to five. And you have cards, you run through them, you read the story, but then you collect items, you go up on the psychic scale, you deal with danger on this track. It's pretty interesting. I've had a lot of fun with it so far, considering it's kind of just reading a novel that's been gamified. But I like how they did it. And it has, like, everything is old and dingy and looks like those old Choose Your Own Adventure books. It's maybe an excuse for them to use cheap cardstock, but I really like it. <laughs> uh, Thunderstone Quest is up on Kickstarter. The new one is up on Kickstarter. went up last week. So uh, this is, like, the revamp of that first edition, as well as some new content from AEG. King Domino, Age of Giants. Uh, I talked about this a little bit ago. Um great little expansion adds a lot of different achievement tiles adds these giants that are very simple but add just enough of a tweak to the game to make it a little more interesting and then last but not least in the top 15 is seventh continent nothing new here uh but i know that the new content for this is coming in the next two three months um for everybody who backed that last kickstarter so uh great game deserves to be up here and uh the, it'll be higher on the list i'm sure when that stuff ships so there you have it, the top 15 on the hotness as of today. All right, so that's everything for this week, but that's not everything for BGA. If you'd like to get more BGA content, check out our Patreon-backed episodes at patreon.com backslash BGA. All right, Anthony, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.